so many times. That's our greeting from Thailand. I've got a lot of echo here. Do I need that much echo? <laughs> So, first of all, let me thank the leaders for this kind invitation to be able to share with you this evening. For those of you who don't know, uh, I'm responsible for Ariel. <laughs> Most of the time. Uh, and my other daughter, Yana, uh, it's the first time our family's been able to come together since 2019, uh, thanks to COVID. So, we're really grateful to the Lord to be able to be together. and. One of the things I have always enjoyed is having my family with me in service because they are the toughest test. Uh, if you say something that is insincere, then, uh, so you have to be honest here. But this evening, I would like to challenge us with regards to this information age in which we live. We have so much information coming our way, particularly over the last few years, then a large portion of that information gets branded as fake news. So then, what is true news? Because everything can be discounted down to where if you don't like something, ah, it's fake news. So where is the integrity? And I, I see a broad age group here, and you are that season in your life where a lot of your values and your life decisions are being made based on what you're hearing, right? Because early in the seasons of life, you don't have the benefit of experience. So how do you chart your course ahead? You take it from the people around you. and. If the people around you are equally lost or ignorant, what happens? You get led off path, right? So everybody, I believe here, all of you would want to have productive lives and effective lives. You wouldn't want to squander your life, right? I don't think there's anyone sitting here this evening. The fact that you even come to a meeting tells me that you want some direction. Otherwise, you'll be chilling out somewhere, playing computer games, hanging out with your friends, and you won't come to listen to a guy who was born before the pyramids. Uh, I was referring to the hotel next to my house. Uh, it was built after I was born. But I, I do always say, uh, I was born BC, before computers. But what it does say is, um, I, I think you, you were asking me how long I've been playing the guitar, and that put a stop on me when I realized it's 51 years I've been playing the guitar, and I started playing when I was 14. So that's how old I am. So basically, I've spent more than half a century, if you can get your head around that, uh, as a Christian. And I've seen many fads and fashions come and go. And I had the benefit of seeing how those passions and fads actually work out. They might be so popular in the day, everybody's doing it. But later on, you'll find out that it wasn't a good idea in the first place, right? So tonight, before I get going, what I want you to do 
they start to think about the input that you're getting. Whether you're a gamer or a soccer player or a musician, the crowd that you hang out with, the people in your school, the people who you work with, what is the ambient conversation? What are people talking about? What are the values that are kind of revolving around you all the time? Okay? So we, we are all in different culture pods, if you like. Yes? Does that analogy kind of resonate? We're in culture pods. So if you're a gamer, you hang out in the gamers pod and then you, you use all the, the lingo of the gamers and so forth, right? If you're in a musician's pod, then you, you get, what's the latest cool tune? Have you heard of this group? Uh, do you know who's doing what? What album has come out? You're, you're in that culture pod. But how do we discern what is really going to be lasting? What is going to benefit us in the decisions we make? And what is going to bear fruit in our lives? Because not everything coming your way is going to be helpful. Okay? 19 out of 20 of your friends may say it is, but it may not be. So I want you to start thinking because um, I'm going to mark my time here. And we're going to have a chance for you to ask questions. Okay? I understand they've set up a slido. Okay. Let's see. Even this old guy can learn new terms. But they've set up a slido so that you can send in your questions. Uh, if, if you don't want to actually speak up. But, so I want you to start thinking already of some of the challenges you have right now. And to discern how you work through that as Christians. So let me kick off by saying that um, I based my message on, on Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, and that's where Jesus tells his disciples, you have to be uh, wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Okay? And I just kind of recently thought, why did he choose a serpent, which in the Bible is not a good creature. In, in biblical terms, the serpent is not usually seen in a favorable light. But Jesus actually uses it as an example to be wise or shrewd as the serpent in some translations. Then I thought about it. Ariel used to have a pet snake, a python, named creatively Pi. 3.142. But 3.142. Um, so when I observed Pi, I realized you have to be pretty cunning if you have to survive without limbs. Right? Think about that. You've got nothing. You've got no limbs, no feet, and you've got to hunt. How many of us contemplate hunting without hands or without feet? So you do have to be pretty shrewd and wise in order to survive as a serpent. So how do we traverse this earthly life with everything that is coming our way? How do we survive and yet exhibit the grace that is of the kingdom of God? So let me start off with this. Think of uh, these three pods of culture, if you like. The first is what I would call the dominant culture. It's the dominant culture of the day. 
The second part is the local culture. Okay? And then the third part would be kingdom culture. What does scripture say? Because that is actually the eternal and lasting culture. Yes? Because that's what we take with us when this earthly life is done. So, I will try to define the three. The dominant culture, the local culture, and kingdom culture. Alright, great. One guy is paying attention. No, I'm just kidding. I can see on your faces you're still awake. Uh, if you do have to sleep, it's okay, but just don't snore. So, dominant culture. What, let me try and illustrate. What is the 4th of July? Right. What is 26th of January? What is the 9th of August? Singapore National Day. So have I illustrated the point? The dominant culture of our age is American culture. Okay? Whether we like it or not, that's why everybody knows 4th of July. Because all of the movies, right? Independence Day, all of the aliens only invade America for some reason. <laughs> I haven't figured that one out. I haven't seen any aliens land in Somalia. But they always got to find the US, okay? Uh, so that's the dominant culture of the day. The music that we get, the media that we get, uh, it's all from the US. Even some of the words you use, the slang and so forth, cool. That's not an Aboriginal word. It, it comes from America. Okay, and, and we talk like this, and, and, and where, where is it coming from? It's coming from hip-hop or whatever, okay? So, the dominant culture affects us. Local culture, 26th January, you know what it is. And, and obviously, you have slang and practices that are part of Australia, and you are at least, I look around the room, just about all of us here are at least dual culture, right? So you have your home culture, your parents. How many of you still speak Egyptian or Arabic? Okay. So already there, you have a slightly different value system, yes? So that's your local or ambient culture. And then you go subdivide that, I won't bother doing that, but you, you actually do that because you have your home part, you have your work part, you have your school part, you have your hangout part, you have your soccer team pod uh, and, and so forth, yes? So all of those things give you different input. And then the third one, as I mentioned, that's important to us is what is kingdom culture? How does God want us to live as his people, regardless of the country we come from or, or whatever, okay? So there's certain eternal values. So today, for example, we have the dominant culture that tells us we have to be inclusive. That's not bad. But if I quickly touch on something controversial, uh, the LGBTQ movement. Now, a lot of that has been propelled by the dominant culture. Okay? And, and what they tell us about it and so forth. But how do we respond to that uh, becomes the question that is 
before us. So with a, a dominant culture, we, we have to think carefully about what is our coming our way. And always ask ourselves, what does kingdom culture say about either dominant culture or local culture? Okay? I had to serve national service. And I served my two and a half years in the Singapore Navy. And I was trained as a naval diver. Today, they call it SEALs. I don't know why. It's not a terrifying creature. Like, watch out, here comes a shield. <laughs> I mean, it, they should call us orcas or something, right? But anyway. Uh, sorry, that's just my hang-up. Um, but in the Navy, where I served, and, and was a trainee naval diver, and everybody there's so macho, you know, like we're the SEAL team. And they wouldn't even call that. We just called naval divers. The SEALs weren't born yet. But... Um, we were just called naval divers, and everybody is like, we, we are the toughest in the Navy, even the commandos respect us, etc., etc. So everybody wants to be macho men. And one of the things right at the beginning was, you have to smoke and drink to prove that you're a guy. So I remember sitting in this group, and they pass around the cigarette and say, everybody's got to take a puff. And fortunately, the only other guy in the team I knew who didn't smoke was on my left, and the cigarette's coming his way first, so I had a chance to see what's going to happen. <laughs> so they, when he said no, they grabbed him, put a cigarette in his mouth, punched him in the stomach, and he inhaled. Okay. So I knew I was coming my way. So when they came to me, and I said, before you hit me, let me just make a statement. Okay. I don't see how smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer makes me a man. Because I see women smoking and drinking too. <laughs> and I see the genders in between smoking and drinking too. So if you tell me in a few years I get married, I produce children, then I'm a man, okay. I'll drink to that. But don't tell me just because I pop a cigarette and drown a beer, I'm a man. So I said, what are you going to do? I have decided I'm never going to smoke. Okay? You're going to follow me for the rest of my life, putting cigarettes in my mouth and hitting me in the stomach? And I, if you think just because I don't play ball and smoke and drink, I'm not part of the team, you know very well in all of our training, I don't shirk for anything. And you know very well if there's a bullet, I'll stand up in front of it and I'll take it for you. So it's not about courage. So don't put this on me. It's not necessary. Right? So I think that is the way we need to discern and stand up. And now, now, actually 20 years after I left the Navy as a pastor, I was doing my hospital rounds, and then I heard this voice call out. And I turned around, and it was one of my Navy mates. And he had lost like two-thirds of his weight, he was there with drips and everything, and he called me over, he said, let's see. Oh, I said, what happened to you? And he said, I should have been brave like you, you know? I've been smoking, and my liver is shot, and, and he passed away two weeks later, right? So, I do think we need that wisdom to discern what is good for us in the long term. Don't just go with the culture of the day. So dominant culture, 
local culture, kingdom culture. Why has scripture been written the way it has? If we see in the Old Testament, <laughs> I'm very intrigued tonight, partially that's why I'm sharing this. What was the dominant culture of Moses' day? Yeah, don't be afraid. Hey, hey, go Egypt. So that was the dominant culture of the day, right? Right. So when Moses wrote the Ten Commandments and, and the interpretation of the Ten Commandments, it was about how the nation of Israel, not so much their nation, but just a collection of people could live together. Okay? Because they were going to leave Egypt and make their way somewhere they weren't even sure where exactly. Uh, but they, they had to survive as a group. If suddenly, for whatever reason, all our homes were destroyed, and overnight we decided this group has to be led, and, and we've got to find a way to survive, we've got to set down some group rules, haven't we? Who's going to look for food? Who's going to store the food? Who's going to cook the food? Who's going to protect the group? and so on and so forth. We, we would just need these uh, laws or guidelines for us to survive. So a fair part, if we look at the Mosaic law, it was addressing the dominant culture that they had come out of. Does that make sense? And I, I already uh, alluded to the LGBTQ movement, but in the Old Testament, when it says that, you know, uh, God detests uh, homosexuality and fornication and adultery and so forth, because these would not have been practices that would have been good for the survival of the group. Okay? Uh, case in point, if, if this group of Israelites were going to survive, they had to procreate. Just hypothetically, if everybody went gay, then they would have no nation in one generation. Stupid analogy, but indulge me. Okay? So you can see that there it says that God finds these things uh, abhorrent, or depending on what translation you go to, that God detests these things. But I do want to make clear that kingdom culture says he hates adultery, homosexuality, fornication, and, and so on. But that's because it is not good for the survival of the group. And we have to discern where he says he hates homosexuality, but I think we've got to be careful. I don't believe he hates the homosexual. Yes? He hates theft. That does not mean he hates the thief. I hate theft. If Ariel starts to steal or Yanis decides to start to steal, I will hate that action. But as a father, I can never hate Ariel or Yana. And Jesus actually says, he compares me as a father, and it's such a 
degree of separation. He says, even you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more so your father who is in heaven. So if I, as a father, earthly evil father, cannot ever bring myself to hate my daughters, how does God hate them? Okay. So even on the cross, what were his final words? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Good King James Version for that year. I like you already, two times. <laughs> One more time, and buy you supper afterwards. So, they know not what they do, but what do they not know? If you examine that more closely, on crucifixion day in Jerusalem, there was no one there who was not aware that they were crucifying an innocent man. Is that true? It was so clear in the public square. The pilot came before everyone and he says, this guy committed no crime. I can't find anything to condemn him with. They say, crucify him. He tried one more time. He says, look, today I can release a prisoner. Barabbas or Jesus? Jesus. So who did not know that they were crucifying an innocent man? And yet, on the cross, in his suffering, in his separation from the Father, why have you forsaken me? He looks on these people who are the cause of his pain, knowing cause of his pain, and he says, forgive them. I can't imagine or understand a greater exhibition of grace. And I think that is fundamental to the kingdom culture. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace. His holiness requires a standard. But it is fundamentally a kingdom of grace. Yes? Okay. So, we have to see that God has to administer these things before us. Okay? And the reason he tries to um, help us, as it were, is because it's only good for us. He, he wants us to thrive and, and to survive. So he's giving us good guidelines by which to live. What are the pillars of the kingdom then? Okay, so we have three pods. You have your dominant culture pod, your local culture and kingdom culture. So three values of the kingdom. Simple acronym. You all would have heard of it before. I'm going to apply it differently. MIA. What does MIA stand for? You got supper. <laughs> MIA, Missing in Action, but I want to use it because it's a familiar acronym to represent the three values of the kingdom, morality, integrity, and accountability. Yes? Morality, integrity, accountability. Now, if we look at all the great civilizations of the world, they have come and gone. No kingdom, no earthly kingdom, 
has lasted forever. And no earthly kingdom has been able to sustain a trajectory of constant improvement. Agree? Okay. What has brought down the kingdoms of men and women? Students of history? If you look in all of the declines of the great kingdoms, the Egyptians, the Persian, uh, the Greek, the Roman, the British Empire, and so on and so forth, it is actually the decay of morality, integrity, and accountability. Okay? And um, I stand here today, we, we live in the age and the dominant culture is the United States of America. And, and I uh, pastor a congregation in Thailand where I think 60 to 65% of my congregation are Americans. And I have a lot of conversations with them. And I hazard, I, I risk my life by telling them, I think your constitution is written up wrongly. What a bold statement. What do I mean by that? So your constitution, from my observation, is premised on rights. Yes? First Amendment, right to free speech. Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. Put the two together, I have the right to say anything I want and I can carry a gun. That sounds like a bad idea to me. But that aside, it's all about rights. So if we look at a lot of the news, a lot of what you see on YouTube and so forth, it has bred a culture, a mentality of entitlement. Yes? Uh, today, I just saw, I, I clicked on, on one of the news clips and I, there, there's news about them arresting this pastor. And all he was doing was watering his neighbor's plants. So that's the headline, pastor arrested for watering his neighbor's plants. Now that sounds terrible, right? That's ridiculous. But when they play the body cam footage, the police come up to him and, excuse me, sir, uh, can, can you just uh, show us your identification? And he goes, no, I don't need to do that. I'm not doing anything wrong. Why do I need to show you identification? I'm just watering plants. He says, well, somebody called and said that you're parked where you shouldn't be, and you, you, you shouldn't be, this is not your house, and this is not your lawn. And just show us your identification, and we'll sort this out. No, you can arrest me if you want. I don't have to show you anything. I'm not doing anything wrong. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? That, to me, is logic capsized. There is no longer a respect for authority. There's no sense that I have to be accountable for my actions to the society. Somebody is doing something good. They're recognizing that I usually, I'm not the guy watering the plants. And I, even though I'm not doing something harmful, but I can be accountable for my actions, right? So what's so difficult about, here's my ID, and my friend lives here, and he's away on holiday, and he asks me to water his plants. Why make it a case? Why, I don't have to tell you anything, because I'm not doing anything wrong. 
Pardon me, but I interpret that as the dominant culture, the local culture, which has cultivated a sense of entitlement. Yeah? I don't have to account to you. I don't have to tell you who I am or what I'm doing here. How do we live together if we go down that road? Okay? So I think a lot of the, the laws that you see in the New Testament with regards to sexuality, uh, in the Old Testament as well, were actually responses to the dominant culture of the day. So if the Old Testament dominant culture was Egyptian, and please don't get me wrong, far be it for me to say here that it was a bad culture. I think every culture has its good and bad points. Okay? And certainly Egypt has given human civilization many good things. right? Uh, and, and all cultures have contributed to the development of society. Otherwise, we'd still be rolling square wheels in the wilderness uh, as opposed to walking on the moon. So everyone has contributed. But if we look at Egyptian culture, and then in the New Testament, what was the dominant culture? Did you stay for breakfast? <laughs> so, Rome. And in, in the common element between the two cultures, if you permit me to say, was, and they were on the decline. Okay? They were on the decline when Moses gave the laws and when, when Paul uh, and Jesus uh, spoke and, and, and brought forth the New Testament. What was bringing down those two great cultures? It was actually sexual immorality, corruption, and indulgence, which are the antithesis of morality, integrity, and accountability. See? So, we have to discern that, um, again, when I say in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it speaks out clearly against sexual immorality. And it's not singling out the LGBTQ, which I think a lot of the time is misunderstood. Because God detests sexual uh, license or licentiousness, he detests that because it's harmful to the survival of the group. Yes? And he hates the homosexual or the practice of homosexuality as much as he hates adultery, as much as he detests fornication or, or theft, or even lust, because that doesn't help you or the group. And can, we, can we take it from that perspective? Because Jesus clearly said, was the Sabbath written for man or man created for the Sabbath? And we know the Sabbath laws were there to give people a day of rest, to recreate and to connect with God and to be mindful of God. And that is healthy for our survival. Okay? So, how do we then apply kingdom culture to that situation? I have many friends from the LGBTQ uh, group. I have journeyed with a few who have had gender reassignment. 
If you ask me, I say, uh, if you ask me, are they born like that? Um, I don't think we can brush it all with one stroke. I think even in the community, there are different backgrounds, different orientations, and we must be careful not to just try to brush it with one stroke and say, oh, they're not born like that, or they are born like that. So they can't help it. I think we have to look at it individually. Uh, we live in a fallen world. Because of, in that uh, group also, they have the argument that, well, if they're born like that, they can't help it. And, and you know, God made them that way. And then why does he then condemn or curse their behavior if he made them that way? Um, I would say we live in a fallen world. And the world is imperfect. And there are babies who are born blind. There are, many of you are in the medical sphere. And people are born with diseases. Diseases. I have friends who struggle all their lives with, with kidney failure or diabetes. And how is it I'm, I'm free of it? Why? I, I don't know. So part of what I would like to encourage in kingdom culture is also a sense of humility. Yes? That we don't step out there as if we know everything. And that the opinions we have, the verses we can quote are right. And, and therefore you have to subscribe to, this, to, to it. Now I'm not saying I don't stand by what I believe in. I, I look at scripture, I try to read it with the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. And I decide what makes sense to me and how I want to apply it to my life. I don't feel I have the authority to go and force it on you. So the nature of my sharing tonight is one of persuasion. I'm not trying to ram something down your throat and say, this is what God says, and woe betide you if you don't believe it, and you're going to meet condemnation and damnation if you don't subscribe to this belief. That's never been the way that I've preached. Each of us has to be accountable for what we take in, decide upon, and apply to our lives. And never try this excuse, all my friends did it. That excuse from Genesis does not work. The only guy ever who could use that excuse validly was Adam. The woman you gave me, because there's only one other woman. But even in that circumstance, you realize that when he says, the woman you gave me, she made me do it, God does not engage him at all. He doesn't even say, and then why did you listen to her? Immediately, the judgment, the condemnation is pronounced. It's like, my reading of that, it was, it was a non-issue. You needed to know better, Adam. Don't even throw that at me. So I look at that and say, accountability is a high value. When we stand before the throne, don't attempt to say, my friend told me to do it. Okay? Live your life that way. You'll find yourself in good stead. Everything that you do, own it. 
Because God has given you a will. And he's given you a brain. Use it and own it. I think if people in general would just own their decisions and be accountable, the world would actually be a better place. You think so? It's this lack of accountability. I don't know. I don't care. So we don't have to go on and on with that. But we have to discern as the family of God how we live. And I hope that like a light, we live in such a way that it is attractive. That our lives make sense. So much so that people will come to us and say, can you tell me what you are doing? How is it you have a happy marriage? How is it you've brought up your children to be productive human beings? At least I like to believe that. Uh, yes, I, I think they are, and I'm, I'm proud of that. And my response to them is, I've looked in what I call the scriptures, which I believe were written by the one who made us. And because he made us, he understands the best way for us to live, function, and bear fruit. And for what it's worth, I've invested my life in reading those scriptures, thinking them through, owning them, and applying them to my life. And if you see fruit in my life, then if you want me to share with you, I'm more than happy to do it. So I don't need to walk around with a rod saying, I'm a pastor, that's bad, you should stop doing that. Hey, pick up that litter, you're not being personally accountable for what you're doing. <laughs> I don't think that's what I'm called to do. Okay? I've always said the kingdom of heaven, I don't believe anyone has ever been argued into the kingdom. I sat down when I was younger and thought I, I was pretty good at debating and I'd sit down with people and argue them into a corner, like checkmate. But what is the conclusion at that point? When you go checkmate, they don't say, oh, okay, I'll become a Christian. <laughs> I've never had that happen. You argue them into the kingdom, uh, you argue them into checkmate, and they'll just at best say, okay, you're smarter than I am. But I still don't believe what you say. So the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of love, it's a kingdom of grace, and we should portray it as a beautiful kingdom that is worth consideration. Amen? Okay. okay.